Both knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is hour one of episode 424. Jason Lingren is with me, and Mr. James True is back. Uh, we're going to go over some ideas that are big ideas. I just asked James what he would call the overarching idea, and he told me Plato's Cave, Reality Theory, or maybe the Eye of Raw. We're going to get into a lot of things which, for my part, were primarily never shown me, told to me, or taught in any school that I ever had, which is ridiculous if you think about it. Are we here to become higher human beings or are we here to be worker bots? That's the real question, isn't it? Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a hot good morning. Yep, we are. Oh, we should mention uh, glory be to the high point of the sun today. It is 621 as we record, which is in fact the summer solstice or the high point of the sun, which implies that every day after this, the sun will be decreasing in its power, though what we experience is slightly different. In most places, it gets a little bit hotter as we go into August. But nonetheless, uh, what is supposed to be true is the height of the power of the sun will decrease every day down to the winter solstice, which is December 21, at which point daytime will begin to lengthen again. Anyhow, welcome, James. Gentlemen, great to be here. Thanks for having me and happy solstice. All right. I'm going to let you steer the boat here so that I don't drive us off track. But when you and I speak, we tend to go (laughs) places. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I love where you take us. So I'm happy to to enjoy the, the the side trace here. Uh, I, how about to start us off, I tell you that there's this rumor floating around. It's probably more than a rumor, but it's the idea of the Black Eye Club. And all these celebrities and powerful people are seen in public with a black eye. This phenomena, it, it could be all kinds of things. And I just want you to know, this is what cracked this egg for me, is that I tried to picture how would that happen? And the idea of someone punching... uh Someone else in a ritual just didn't satisfy me as plausible. I think a lot of these uh, men would probably flinch and it just wouldn't work out. And I, it really was just exploring the idea of, well, well, what could you do to the eye? What, what, what could you do that would like change someone? And I stumbled across this weird kind of, kind of thing. And I think it ends up describing the actual reason why your neighbors will not see a global psychological event, and you will. And it comes down to aperture and our ability to absorb consciousness, our ability to perceive and actually uh, 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 sort of digest the truth in the room. And some of us have a very low tolerance for truth because it's very painful and they get uh, almost, it's like a camera where the lens is open and there's just too much light and you end up just burning out the sensors. Uh, While others have a different kind of aperture and they can stare at the scene longer and pull in more of the uh, grayscale information and build a more complete picture. And I think the reason why is because of something called aperture. And this is a function of the polyvagal nerve. A very famous paper by Dr. Stephen Porges called The Polyvagal Theory is a great sidebar to introduce to this. But in a sentence, the polyvagal nerve is sort of a transmission for your human body. 
And when I say transmission, I mean that it can put the body into different gears or states based on tension inside the vagus nerve. This nerve system wraps around your heart, your lungs, kidneys, your intestine, and it has your throat. And with a flick of a chemical, can put you in a seized-like posture state, something that you would uh, akin to flight, fight, or flight. And at the same time, it can also relax you and put you into a calmer state. This throttle is a brake and a gas pedal for consciousness too. That the pain of the reality of what you're staring at actually can flood your, your engine and your engine has this safety, this governor that stops you from freaking out about what's in the room. So a few things. I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask you a few questions about the black eye idea, Please. which I think I first bumped into into 2010. Haven't really paid attention to it. But as you were speaking there, I went straight to goats, right? Goats pass out. Movies been made. The men who stare at goats, they stare at them until they die or pass out. But to get back to the black eye, I think it was probably around 2010, the first time I ever saw all the images of all the famous people lined up with their black eyes. I don't remember a lot. I remember the association was with the eye of Ra, and that was bad. And that's kind of why I quit paying attention. The eye of Ra is not bad. And what they're basically showing you is they're ahead of you. <laughs> they're, yes. they're more clever than you. And they do a thing that you catch on to. And you instantly say that's evil. And you push tools out of your own tool belt, which should have been there from the beginning. But I'll ask some questions. Is it only men that we see getting the famous black eye? Which eye is it? Is it always the same eye? Those are a couple questions I have. Yeah, it's mostly men and the eye will change. And it's the fact that the eye will change sometimes, which uh, made me look deeper into why. And I think that you'll find that the eye is indicative of whether or not someone's left-handed or right-handed. That we have a myth that the brain automatically, the creative side's on the right, the logical side's on the left and vice versa. But really, your brain is loaded depending on which dominant side you personally have. So if you're left-handed, then your brain hemisphere theory is flipped because your main go-to side would be your right. And then your rendering simulation side would would be your left if you're, you know, trying to guesstimate what's going to happen or something like that. So the fact that the eyes switch, I think kind of verifies this idea that the idea real quick, just to place it on the table so everyone can see it. This black eye is, uh, inhibiting the flow of melanin and or increasing the flow of dopamine inside the retinal wall. And the reason why it's doing this is because it's bypassing the amygdala's governor. The amygdala is able to hide truth from you by secreting melanin. I'm not saying melatonin. I want to make sure all the listeners don't don't think I'm making a mistake. It's secreting melanin into the inner ear, a place that never sees any light, into uh, the eyes itself, into the walls of the rods and the cones, and actually stopping certain information from being seen. And that information ends up being what you and I would call truth. Like, oh, look, that building was totally demolished in broad daylight. Did you see that? And the other person's like, no, no, me not see that. 
me no see this, me see, me see Saudi Arabia. You know, it, it, this, this interaction you're seeing when you're standing right next to somebody is really because there is more melanin stopping this person from rendering the truth further than you personally do see it now. So the black eye is sort of a, uh, it's like a X-rated version of reality. You're able to see pure raw reality without fear. And this is a pretty intense experience. Schizophrenics have this. Albinism, albinos have this. Uh, most shamans have this. Uh, people doing crystal meth uh, experience this too. We call them hallucinations, but many of these hallucinations are shared. So you have like multiple people having the same hallucination is literally the definition of reality. <laughs> it's not a hallucination. But we see it as a hallucination because you and I have governors that are like, I don't, I don't want to see a giant pain body emanating from a singular eye that's floating in a polaris of this cloudular, blobular field. That scares the shit out of me. I, I, just, I just want to see a building that collapsed. And so we do. That, that's what we're doing all the time. And so the Black Eye Club would be sort of a free ticket behind the veil where you could see both what you're comfortable seeing and then out of the other eye, you could actually see this unfiltered reality. One wonders who delivers the bruising below. Yeah, I would think that, that if you were to, and this is all pure speculation, but I, I would think that if you could uh, introduce some sort of a, a shot, some sort of a gel or something that basically would inhibit the dopamine or um, inhibit the melanin, but, but not let the dopamine come down too much. In mice right now, if you if mice don't have enough dopamine, they can't see. They just can't see. Their their eyes render nothing. And so my theory is is that the reason why the eye renders nothing is because the amygdala is doing a constant check and saying, You f- you feel really stressed out. I'm not gonna show you this cat that's right in front of you. Because if I show you this cat that's right in front of you, you're gonna shut down. You're going to have myotropia. Something is going to happen where you're going to enter a paralysis, hence the fainting goats, if you look at this reality too much. Deer in the headlights, right? You end up getting this. uh, We've had this where if something scares you, you find yourself frozen for a moment. That only happens for a moment, thank goodness, because your amygdala is controlling these petals, the dopamine and the melanin. And she's allowing the secretions of those to change rates. And by doing that, you're still able to maintain control. You're still in your, in your pilot's house uh, during this event. All right. Well, there's a few things. And um, the, the question of how did the black guys get there comes up. For my part, I'd use Occam's razor. This is a world based on death and fear-based theater. The makeup artist did the black eye. That's where I would start. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make it right, but that's where I would start because I would rather be wrong and unaccepting than accepting and wrong because I think the latter of those two things is more dangerous. But so what I'm hearing here is that it could be a procedure that causes that. At any rate, it's pretty clear that the media is being brought in to share what's happened here. Otherwise, they'd say, oh, you got a black eye. Let's put makeup over that or let's not put you on camera today. That's not what we see. Now, I have seen an older 
texts from places that claim to be secret societies, there's an idea that when the left eye is displayed, it's looking backwards through time. When the right eye is displayed, it's looking forwards. I don't know if that applies here, but there's a similar thing. We see it in the Bible, as a matter of fact. The Reverend uh, Robert Taylor showed us that when you're reading and the words Jesus Christ come to you, you're looking at the fall equinox. When Christ Jesus comes to you, you're looking at a person that's been initiated and you're on the opposite side at the spring equinox. Verily, verily, Mm. I say unto thee. So probably knowing things like that, I would suggest that the camera crew was there on purpose. The camera crew did not apply makeup to hide the eye. So this is a communication of some sort, however it came to be. That much I can accept. But as we get into it, let's lay it down. I mean, what are we really talking about here? We're we're circling around the idea of what James Widener was talking about. An initiation to deal with that deals with light in your third eye, sometimes called the pineal gland. And for those who think this is a bridge too far, go ahead over to the Vatican and look at their 14-foot pine cone. Pineal has the word pine in it. A pine tree is an evergreen, and they're making a pun with their 14-foot, I don't know what it is, copper pine cone in one of the courtyards at the Vatican. Uh, They're expressing to you that they're aware of the third eye and that the third eye has been activated by at least someone in that place. I mean, what would you add, James? Yeah, I I would... uh... I'm going so far as to suggest, I mean, I'm not saying we have to call it this, but to suggest that to consider the the pineal is actually the first eye and not the third eye. And that even in Samaria, this exact same idea of this pine cone was passed, was passed through. Right. I say first eye because I, I've just explained, and, and we can go into more proof as to why this is, things like blind sight, which is a, a something that happens when someone doesn't have an optic nerve, they're still able to see things in the room. Uh, you can reverse a frog's uh, retinal cells and they start jumping backwards from what they see. And all these things are, are hinting to the idea that the eye is actually not seeing reality. The eye is painting reality. And that instead, reality is coming sooner than it takes the eye to actually see. And it's probably coming through this first eye, the pineal. And I'd like to suggest to everyone that just like a sonar buoy works underwater, you have a, a rubberized diaphragm that not only listens, it has the ability to actively send, to ping. And it pings by squeezing an electrical connection into that, and that the pineal is referred to as, as brain sand, that inside of there are this uh, physioelectric crystals that can be squeezed by your heartbeat. And because they're suspended inside the CFSF, your uh, spinal fluid, cranial spinal fluid, inside the third ventricle, that that squeezing is is acting just as a sonar buoy does when it's underwater. Instead of it being underwater, though, it's inside of the CSF fluid. That CSF fluid stretches all the way down your spine and up again, which acts as this antenna. This liquid antenna listens for source reality. Source reality. Source reality is complex. It doesn't have uh, sound, light, smell. It's, it's all of it. Source is all of it at the same time. And what happens is, is that your first eye reads source, and then it splits it up into dimensions. And it routes these dimensions to the dimensions of your ears for sound and the dimensions of your eyes for sight. And that that's really what's what we're interpreting and seeing in reality 
is our amygdala's interpretation of source. We should point out that what has been called the third eye, which you were referencing as maybe the first eye, is a light-sensing organ. It actually works like an eye for people who don't know. Going over the notes that you sent me, I'm noticing that something like 90% of the images of the Black Eye Club members have the left eye is black. Mm-hmm. Some of them, it looks like it's beyond the ability to be makeup or it was very intricately made up because there's swelling and other things. But what I'm noticing is there used to be an idea uh, when the Catholic Church was running schools, probably in the 20th century, left eye or left handedness was viewed as evil. So they forced those people to become right handed. The idea is because the word for left, and I hope I get this right. I know we're going to talk this. I think it's probably in one of the Romance languages, uh, is related to being sinister. Mm-hmm. The, the word sinister relates. So I would submit to you that what we are seeing probably has a sinister idea. I don't see but one person in this list that looks like maybe it's the right eye. Yeah. And the sinister would, would point to, you're seeing the shadows of reality. And I'm calling them shadows because you would notice that there are many others that are right beside you that just simply don't see those things. And right now, the people that do see things that you and I don't, we actually put inside a home and we call them crazy and we isolate them from the rest of society. Not everyone does this in the world. In Africa, they're like, holy shit, this dude's a shaman. And one thing that's really tied deep into shamanism is this idea of trauma and pain. And I believe that the fact that trauma and pain is so routed into the shaman's life, that it points even more to the idea that there's this aperture that is uh, throttling reality down because it's too difficult to swallow. And that there are certain people that have had enough trauma, either epigenetically or from their own lives that have learned how to see things that others simply can't. This entire world right now is having a shamanic experience. Why? Because many of us are able to open our apertures wider and to stare at the pain of the sun that's showing you the world for what it truly is. There's a metallic panther. There is a, countries are not what we think they are. There is a moat of lies surrounding a cavern of propaganda. Seeing that is a very painful experience to the softer eye. The shaman sees this every day. What they're calling conspiracy theory, they're calling you a shaman emerging in the light of this corona, of this new way of seeing things. So I think that's where we're at, and that's really what's happening, and it's natural, meaning that it's built into the cycles of the sun, I believe. I'm with you all day long there. Uh, I'm going to close out on the Black Eye Club idea. I haven't thought about this since roughly 2010. What I'm saying is this is imposed. It is clearly logically imposed. Who punches Prince Philip or the Pope or a president? Nobody punches these people. So logically, we can comprehend that this is imposed. Whatever else, if you put your mind to it, but I'm just not that interested. Clearly, it's a thing. Clearly, we can kind of work out what it's related to. But uh, I would suggest that in this era, data has allowed them to figure out what's the likelihood of how many people can take it and how many people can't and how many people have been programmed and what's the top search term. Simple as that. 
And if this search term, say monkeypox, has fallen 75%, guess what? We're going to do something else right now. We'll wait. It could be that simple. Um, but you, we see the entertainment is in lockstep. And all these people are entertainers, aren't they? We know that the governments are not doing their best to govern and provide for the masses. Uh, we know this. We've known it for a long time. As a matter of fact, we know that the institutions that were formed up in the political parties are a put up. In this case, political parties were created by the banking system. Even as I speak, as I drove to the store this morning on the radio, I heard, oh, the Roger Waters, the bassist and Pink Floyd, he's got this new concert and he's going to fly you first class and all these things to get people interested in the concert. You know what the concert's called? This is not a drill. We see these things over and over. And so where people get hung up is, does Rogers Waters, is he inside baseball or did he just get directed? And to me, it doesn't matter, James. What matters is, can you deal with it or can you not deal with it? And I think the 80% or more of people who refuse to see what's going on, they refuse to deal with reality, which relates to exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You know, a quarter of the people released under the Innocence Project due to DNA evidence that later corroborated their innocence, a quarter of them, a quarter of them gave a false confession saying I did it. And the reason why I'm bringing this up right now is because I want you to see how easy it is to warp and carve reality for someone that cannot take a lot of pain or light through their aperture. That you can literally walk down the street and your chances of getting someone to confess to a crime that will put them in mortal danger is 25%. And all it takes is a costume, an authority figure, a room, a cornering mechanism, and what's called the read effect, an intimidation, a nine-step intimidation program to extract a confession. And I'm telling you this because just like there are shaman that we put away in crazy houses that see one thing, there's this other other lower i'm calling it lower consciousness in a in a just a dis descriptional way that isn't able to formulate their own reality bubble at all and that is so such a soft plant that anyone can come and simply scribe onto them and tell them what reality is and they buy it and when you look at rockefeller holy jeez and devil bill the very first rockefeller uh, raped John D. Rockefeller's housemaid when he was one, probably in front of him. Um, that was one of several. He never stood trial for that. And if the trauma and pain of what it was like to grow up as a Rockefeller was to open his aperture enough, he would be seeing a world around him that buys snake oil and calls it medicine. And he would begin to, to uh, profit from having this sinister eye, having this, this eye of raw, having whatever you want to call it, right? Having this ability to see the world as more source gives him the advantage to psychopathically eat it alive. And so this black eye club that you're seeing, I think the reason why you're, you're seeing what you see, Crow, is precisely because it's always been uh, the, the advantage of the predator to see the entire field, knowing that these uh, sheep are physically not going to be able to render you if you were 
over a specific amount of fear and terror, <laughs> that that creates its own camouflage, which would be a, a sickening process to watch unfold in the world. But if you were a Rockefeller, it would be like shooting fish in a barrel, shooting baby fish with candy in a barrel at, all at once. So you could see how this psychopathic idea could end up going underground and being a system where now elites are breaking their children on purpose because they know it's giving them this emotional uh, mute button, right? That allows them to overcome their thalamus's desire, or their hippocampus's desire to suppress and stop this from rendering so that they could see it all. If we were going to examine what people tend to call the controllers or the elite, we could know many things. For one thing, they're not shopping at Ralph's grocery store. For another thing, they're not drinking municipal water. That one thing alone over generations is going to have an advantage effect. But everything you're describing is the premise of the Truman Show. At one point, the media has Kristoff, and they are basically stroking him as hard as a person can be stroked for having enslaved a living being since they were a baby. And they ask him, how, how, how come it is not until now that Truman ever could realize that where he is? And Kristoff says, because people accept the reality they're presented with. And this is a true thing. And if we examine the world around us now, that is precisely what we see and the people who rolled up their sleeve and the people who can't catch on to the change that is going on because they can't possibly imagine that all the things they want to believe in are wrong. They can't believe the following idea. Everything you know is wrong. Whereas someone like me, I stumbled into it one day. Oh my God, everything I know is wrong. And even knowing that, coming to the realization, it took years before I finally said, well, wait a minute. If everything I know is wrong, then don't accept anything anywhere. We got to start at zero again. Mm -hmm. One and one is not two. And in that example, you find out, yeah, it's two, but it's also 11. Yeah. And so as you begin to go to redefine, you begin to see all the things that are missing. And if truly what we're talking about is what you're calling the first eye, which most people would call the pineal gland, uh, a light sensing organ as the third eye, what you're looking at is an advantage at a level that is almost incomprehensible. It would be, it would be no different than taking someone who was born with brain damage and trying to stack them to stand for their own rights against people who were not born with brain damage. Yeah. It would be that kind of severe. And that's what we're talking about. But as I'm going through your notes, I notice you have the eye of raw. People are familiar, the old Egyptian looking eye of raw with the little curly cue coming down under the eye. The little Alice Cooper line is typically there and you've broken it down. But I assume this breakdown is because you are comparing what the eye of raw actually symbolizes, which is a cross section of the human brain cut exactly down the middle. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And, and the eye of raw would be what source looks like after it comes through the pineal. Because as it comes through the pineal, you are, the eye of Ra's actually has seven, or it doesn't have to be this way, but one way of interpreting it is it has seven different parts. And uh, each of those parts would represent a different sensation. So smell, it would be half of the source signal is going to be coming directly into your smell. This is the one part that does not go through the amygdala and that it, it routes directly into your system. 
the second uh, part would be site. A quarter of source would be routed into site. We need to talk about site because I need people to know that it doesn't go directly to the eyes. It goes to the back of the head, to the occipital lobe, and it's rendered, it's pre-rendered. It's built in triangles before in the back of the head, before it's then passed the amygdala. And then the amygdala says, oh, I don't want to show him this because he's going to freak out. He's going to faint. He's going to roll over. He's going to wreck the car. So I'm going to blur this out, but I'm going to show him the rest of it. And then it passes down into the retinas. But received upside down from the get-go. So the brain even renders a flip there. That's right. Yeah. After sight, uh, just to keep with the, so everyone kind of finishes that. After sight, we go to thought. Uh, I, I know a lot of us think that we just reasonably, rationally think about whatever we want, but actually, uh, under this theory, source is coming to you, and it, just like source has a smell, source has a thought also, and you interpret and read that thought much like a radio would listen to a signal. So, when source, when you're in a place that has a beach, a sandy beach with uh, fried conch fritters and beautiful music playing, the thought is this is nice. <laughs> like that thought is constantly built into the signal and, and you will say, wow, this is really nice. And it's, you are listening to the thought and saying it. From there, we have hearing. One sixteenth of that, keep in mind that melanocytes, the melanin uh, secretors are actually inside your inner ear, a place that sees no light on the very inside that melanin is secreted to stop you from hearing sounds that are too painful to you, that your body's freaking out about, or that dopamine stops flowing because your system is no longer happy hearing this thing. And finally, taste, uh, the smallest of these things. And so the eye of Ra really symbolizes that Ra, sun, right? Ra, the the sun itself is source. Yes, the light itself comes and it is interpreted into these dimensions. These six dimensions are broken down, much like a white light passes into a prism and is broken into the rainbow colors that we see. That all of those colors are showing you that all of those are these different senses. Sight, thought, smell, touch, taste, hearing, red, orange, yellow, green, blue. All those are coming from the source light itself, which is one signal. But because it's so complex, it's multiplex, you and I will use our somatic interpreter to break it down into these different dimensions so we can tangibly associate with it, so we can relate to it in different ways. And we relate to it by assigning a memory to it. And so that memory is pulled up in the uh, hippocampus. And before you see something, you first remember it. I'm literally saying before your eyes see something, source detects it, source pulls up the memory of it, and then the amygdala says, okay, let's draw it like this. And then you see the reality that you do. So (laughs) I hate to pick up the monkey wrench I'm about to pick up, but for everybody listening, just so you comprehend, um, you imagine the eye of Ra with the eyebrow, the way James broke down, I'll just call it bandwidth. It's not the right word, but everyone knows what it means. Yeah, so good. smell would be one half of the bandwidth. Sight would be one quarter. Thought would be one eighth. Hearing would be one sixteenth. Taste, the smallest, would be one thirty second. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, taste is one thirty second. Touch being the smallest at one sixty fourth is the way he's broke it out. But consider that thought is broken down in this idea as half of the bandwidth smell gets. 
if you think about this, by the time this episode goes live, you will have seen the episode we did about the human double with Wayne McCroy. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because I think it relates heavily with the perception of why in the hell are there people walking around who can understand a lot of what's going on here is nonsense, that it's a stage, that it is theater, and the majority cannot. And I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of the human double. I guess we like to call it the other, the id, maybe the ego, the subconscious. It's been called a lot of different things. As a matter of fact, it's been called the id, which is the premise in the movie um, Forbidden Planet, the first big sci-fi movie ever made. It was the id that was killing and creating the monsters. But even in that time, Walter Pridgen states, the id is a term gone out of favor. We want to know why? Because it relates to the ID that we all go into court with. It's the same thing going on. It's a sleight of hand routine. But to come back to the point, if the human double is a reality, which I accept all day it is, because I know what it is to wake up with a song in my head that I did not turn on, that I may not have heard for 30 years or you know, there's been cases when I literally am hearing a song and I'm thinking, when's the last time I even heard that? And I'm thinking that had to be like 70s or 80s. And how come I can't turn it off, which I eventually trained myself to be able to do. That's one of the fingerprints of the double. So if we take everything you're saying, James, and we mix in this idea of what Caesar, Julius Caesar pointed out is the enemy that would hide in the last place you would ever look. Now you're starting to fathom how these controls work and 80 or more percent of us simply for whatever reason can't or refuse to catch on. They cannot open their aperture enough to accept that much light to get a clean view. Yeah. And and the bad news is, is they haven't had enough pain <laughs> to make it where they could render something that painful before. And this is what the, uh, the trauma opening rituals that you hear a lot about, I think are really going after R- Rasputin, uh, was doing this to himself. Uh, it's a very uh, well-known uh, archaic technique of creating the shaman through this kind of trauma. And I'm suggesting that the reason why the trauma helps is because the flow of dopamine is no longer uh, prohibited by the thresholds of pain anymore. And so you're able to accept more things in the room. And so it's part of my work when I try and uh, help my environment by awakening the consciousness around it as best I can because it's self-preserving for me. I notice that where I have the most luck getting people to see the truth of what's happening around us right now is using less fear and more of a posture or a chiropractic uh, mental technique because I know deep down that their aperture can't see building seven because of how uncomfortable it is. And if I tell them a more uncomfortable story, that will never help. So what I do is, is I tell them a more comfortable story that shows them what it is they're looking at. And that sets the polyvagus, relaxes a little bit. The moment it does, the amygdala now has more juice, more dopamine, that she can secrete to allow sounds and sights to fully render to where the thought itself comes, which is, this is a psyop, or this whole thing smells like bogus, man. That is a feeling that requires a certain budget. And if you go in to this place and you do not have the budget for this, a cheaper 8-bit, 2-pixel version 
of the same reality will render before you. And you will have no choice but to call someone else a conspiracy theorist because all you see are two pixels. And this person is painting this huge 4K painting inside of these two pixels. And one's blue and one's yellow. And that's what they see, which is why they end up reacting the way they do. So we are slowly becoming more conscious globally, meaning like around these different aspects of, of all this, all this different aperture, including globalism. That the idea of rendering your cosmology in a simple way where all the land is accounted for, where every single place is accounted for in one simple place, is a psychological posture that is required by people who think in two parties. Who think that everything that anyone tells you would have to be valid because it comes from an authority. Who would think that all countries are valid and everything makes sense and, well, Antarctica is important because they don't want to hurt the penguins because they're very... Uh, uh, emotionally distant and they need that space. All of these things are, you're looking directly into their aperture and you're seeing how uncomfortable or comfortable they are with the truth that's around them. So they're not lying to themselves and they see you as wrong because you do not have the aperture that they have. And if you could put yourself into their camera and behind their lens and adjust the aperture to theirs, you would suddenly see the same thing. But you can't because you're a shaman now. You can't because you now see the reality more for what it truly is. You've been initiated hermetically through the trauma and propaganda of Smith Moon. <laughs> All of this stuff that's been happening around you, whether you like it or not, is causing you to see more of it slowly over time. Which, I mean, we could make the argument that's what everything going on in the world is about, that it was pretty clear the wake-up bell had rung. People yeah. are going to start to come online at a higher level, which means they cannot be controlled at some certain level. And I noticed you lifted or referenced maybe a better word, Matthew 622. Mm -hmm. When I see these things, it tells me that this was known about a long time ago. Yes. Someone might be listening to what we're talking about saying, you guys have smoked too much peyote, but here's the problem. How long ago did we get the scripture? In Matthew 622, which by the way, six and two and two is 10. So I'm already coming into what I'm about to read with the idea that this may be perfection, this idea, or beyond completion. And what Matthew 6.2.2 says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. And what most people forget is that Matthew is one of the synoptic gospels. There are three. The one that is not synoptic is John. Synoptic means to see with one eye if you are following. What's represented here is someone says, What do you mean? If you know, it's like the old cliche, the one eyed king, the one eyed man is king in the land of the blind. Well, basically, what's being said there is what's encased in Matthew 6 22. Basically, what's being demonstrated here is the people at the highest reaches of control are seeing with a single eye. Yes. What we do is we say those evil so-and-sos, the eye of raw, this is all evil. We need to drag it out back, dig a hole and bury it. And the tool you just buried is going to prevent you from ever having a level playing field yep. for the entirety of your existence. If we go back to the Bible and places like this, it tells you that this is not just an old idea. This was a well-comprehended idea that made it into scripture in the so-called gospels. 
And how many people listening that study the Bible comprehend what a synoptic gospel is, how many of there there are, and what it is actually referencing? Um, I would point out. Well said. And imagine what would the terror of going into a stone sarcophagus do if once inside you thought you were going to die and you didn't know that that was going to happen? You you were tricked into getting into the box. This is, by the way, an ancient Egyptian story of Osiris, by the way. But you were tricked to getting into a box. And when you got into that box, you could no longer see. You no longer had your eyes anymore. Think about this ritual. And I think about the terror of, holy shit, I've been locked in a sarcophagus box. That this could have been the earliest version of this same black eye ceremony. A ceremony now that might be might be as simple as a syringe, or it could be makeup. You know, I'm not trying to argue either way in there, but I'm trying to say that the experience itself dilates you. The ritual itself dilates you because you thought you were going to die inside that box. Not only that, while you're in the box, you're learning to see things that you could not see before because you thought that you needed your eyes, your retinas, to see the world, when in fact you don't. And if I can segue into this, there's this concept called blindsight. A patient with no visual cortex, either it's been surgically removed or a tumor or an accident or trauma or something, the patient has no visual cortex and that they can navigate through a room of obstacles and find their way home. And you might say, well, it's probably some sort of like deep sensing smelly or hearing sonar and all those are possible until I tell you that not only can they navigate a room without an eye, but you can show them a photograph and they can tell you whether in the photograph the person is smiling or frowning. And this doesn't have sonar anymore. This doesn't have smell, smell dar anymore. This is a double blind study where this, the person is able to tell you, yes, there's a photograph and it's someone smiling. And when you start to ask yourself, how the fuck did they know that? It makes you come back to this research I'm talking about and think about this idea that this entire time we have been locked inside Plato's cave where we are chained to the walls of our retinas and up through our optic uh, cavity, through our retinal uh, hole, that information is being sent, descended down from the amygdala and shadows are being cast on the walls of our retina that we think are reality. Why? Because if we were to come up past our amygdala outside of Plato's cave to the source, to the first eye, to pineal, we would be blinded by the sun would blind us so much because we haven't had practice coming out of the cave and staring directly into the light. Blind sight shows you that there's no other way this could work. Your eyes are not reading the world and telling you what it is. Your eyes have been told what the world is and they're painting it for you. It's just giving a visual desktop for your memories to associate so you can pull up, oh, this is gross. Ooh, lemon pie. That's good. Oh, this person owes me money. I'm mad. It allows you to trace and associate chemical reactions with things in the room. It's like a holodeck where we're able to assign memories in a certain space. It's not actually perceiving reality. 
it's showing the reality that we perceive through these filters. You know, we can draw all those years I was filming. Most people that get into photography and don't use a telescope are going to be more keenly aware of what I'm about to say because the focal length of a scope kind of sets what you're going to do. Whereas when you're using a camera and a lens, you deal with the focal length or the aperture. And so if you think about the aperture of the camera with a lens on it, that is really small. So it's a pin light. It's just barely opening. You can visualize it like this out in the distance. Everything is out of focus closer to you. There's a wide band of what you're looking at that is in focus very close to you. There's another wide band of everything out of focus. Now the aperture is very open at the distance. There's a huge band that is out of focus. There's a very narrow band of what you're seeing that is in focus. And there's another huge band close to you that is out of focus. And so when you begin to see that we have built mechanical things that leverage off how our eyes actually work. Like when I go out every day and I sun gaze, if I asked you, what's the aperture of my eye doing when I'm staring into the sun, that thing is zeroing down to a pinhole, right? Because there is so much light coming in the eye says, oop, I got to make the little hole in the middle there a little smaller because that's a lot of light. And when I look away from the sun and I cover up my eyes with my hands and I block all light out for two or three minutes to let my vision adjust again, I open my eyes and the little black center of my eye opens up again, fluctuates a couple of times, and then levels in where it wants to be to let the amount of light that is appropriate at that moment. My point being is we have mechanical devices that have proved that the things we were talking about are a thing. If they weren't a thing, a camera wouldn't work. That's right. And dopamine and melanin is how we increase or dilate, uh, increase or dilate that aperture itself is through the chemical flow of dopamine and melanin itself. There's a book that I, I refer to a lot that is basically just documenting all of the UFO cases that have ever existed from ancient China until today. It's just little excerpts of like, it's like 4,000 of them or something. And in reference to aperture, when, when you start at the early parts of the book and you go to, uh, you're in BC and you're looking at, at people describe UFOs, uh, they're like 1500 BC or something. They're describing to you the costume of energy that their aperture was allowed to see. So they're saying a giant dragon flew over the mountain and stayed in the sky for 16 days. It had the whiskers and the horns of a blah, blah, blah. And, the, and they're, they're, they're not like metaphorically calling it a dragon. They're, they're describing to you that they see a dragon and there's like 300 witnesses. And as you move forward in the book, you notice something profound that the costume of this energy, this UFO, this energy itself changes based on the aperture and the comfort of someone able to perceive power. So eventually it becomes mist, it becomes smoke, it becomes light, then it becomes steam, and then it switches and it becomes metallic. And then from metallic, it becomes hovering. And then from hovering, it becomes extraterrestrial. And the entire time we are simply, our aperture is running, it's seeing a source of something very powerful say Bigfoot, for example. 
I'm calling a Bigfoot, but actually, let, I'm sorry, let me fix that. You see a very powerful source in the woods and you don't know what it is. What's the first thing that happens? Your first eye perceives this force of energy. It runs it through its system, through its thalamus. It says, okay, how are we going to render this? It goes back to the occipital lobe. It actually renders what it really is. It passes up through the amygdala. The amygdala says, I am not showing you a giant floating uh, angelic demon goat. It's, he's not going to like it. Put it, make it a Bigfoot, and I will allow this data through. And I really think that that's actually the negotiation that's happening. And that's why when you look back at all this phenomenon, um, you're seeing that it's dressed in the fashion of the time because that fashion of the time is giving you this gauge about where these aperture is. Our conscious mind hides so many things from ourselves. Even in the case of blindsight, when I was telling you that someone who's blind can see, who doesn't have a visual cortex, can, can see a photo, that because of that, when you first try and tell him that, he tells you, I can't do it. He says, I'm blind. I'm missing my eye. Of course, I can't see that photo, you jackass. And the nurse or the, the technician has to keep prompting him and say, yeah, but if you had to guess, what would it be? He's like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't guess. Why, why would I guess? I have no visual cortex. My insurance paying for this. And when you finally make him guess, he guesses right. And blindsight is not just a human thing. Uh, they've done this experiment too on on animals, and animals don't have the uh, problem that humans do, meaning that animals don't mind using their intuition and their guessing, and that they were able to do it right away. And that they're able to do spatial trajectories of objects moving through the room, and they don't have a visual cortex. This thing is profound enough that it has to be something else that's perceiving what's in the room. And the way that we physically see things changes over time, which shows you that what you're seeing is more based on a Pavlovian response to what would be okay for you to see. And I think that's really what, what reality really is. The Eye of Shiva, right? One of the oldest uh, Hindu stories talks about this. That one day Shiva's wife, Parvati, playfully placed her hands over his eyes. Suddenly darkness engulfed the whole world, and all beings trembled in great fear as the Lord of the universe had closed his eyes. Suddenly a massive eye of flame erupted from the forehead of Shiva. A third eye had appeared there, and this gave light to the world. This is a connection we have. We're downloading source. We're witnessing it, which is collapsing the quantum, and we're rendering it to what we think is the canvas of life. That, that's probably the closest definition of reality, I think, that, that, that you could give in relation to this information I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to share with you. All right. Well, we're uh, at the top of the first hour, James. Can you Quickly tell folks where they can find you and your work while we prep up for hour two. I've written uh, five books. One of the chapters is about the Eye of Rods in my latest book, The Best Apocalypse Ever. And it's just describing this principle of aperture and consciousness and how to relate to other people around you that are having a completely different reality experience and still remain comfortable in adjusting that chiropractor. You can find that on Amazon or my website, jtrue.com. Thank you. All right. I can't think of a single exception for the idea of one eye uh, no, no longer requiring the two eyes that we currently use. That one eye, your whole body is filled with light. I just gave you a reference from Matthew in the Gospels. 
There are plenty of old Rosicrucian, every secret society text that got dumped on us in the last third of the 1800s, all saying the same thing to include the old cliche, the one-eyed man is king of the world in the land of the blind. Uh, that too is speaking of the same thing. And how is it that we've lived our lives? And these ideas uh, seem to us like, well, it's just evil people who use this evil one-eye thing and they make fun of us. And, you know, this isn't something for me. And it's all so cleverly put together. But what's worse is the programming that comes around these ideas, like the Matrix would be a good idea, has a lot of people in the world wanting to say we're living in a uh, simulation. This isn't even real. And while at some logical level, you can prove that much of what we experience is illusion, you cannot prove that this is a simulation. The mm -hmm. only way to ever prove this was a simulation would be to interrupt the simulation. Yeah. That is the only way. So it doesn't matter if someone thinks or claims or wants to say anything that we're in the matrix, go work out your proof, dude. As soon as you pull the breaker switch, we'll all pop out of it and go, holy crap, we were in a simulation. <laughs> Other than that, you, there is no way to prove it. And so talking about it is just like chewing gum. Yeah. And pretty soon the flavor is going to be gone. But there is hour one of episode 424 with Jason Lindgren and James True. We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back for hour two, which members can find at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. And I'd like to wish you all on this solstice day, the 21st of June, the high point of the sun and a critical thing to be a part of in this world so that you exist within the cycles of this, wait for it, reality, not computer program. That's right. What we will call reality, even though the illusions abound. I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.